appreciate the fact of being here and studying God's Word with you. I, I like to be down here and look you in the eye. If I ever built a building, the preacher would be down in a hole. You'd be like chickens up on a roost, and you'd be looking down on me. Uh, I think we need this preacher sometimes to realize who we are. Someone asked me a $64,000 question a few minutes ago, and he said, would you tell me what our young people are going to be 20 years from now? I said, if I knew, I'd be like Jeremiah, I'd be crying. And I'm afraid that would be the case. But I hope that we can stir up in your minds that you're going to be different and that your children are going to be different. They're going to love God and serve God. That's my desire and prayer for each one of you. We come to another thing that bothers me a great deal. And we'll be studying in just a minute Psalms chapter 2. Not very many times do people study the psalm. They know what's in Psalms 1, but Psalms 2, and I call them chapters, and know all the well, they're not chapters, they're psalms. But before we go to Psalms 2, there's something in Daniel 2 that I'd like for you to understand. That Daniel is explaining to the king about God. He said there are four kingdoms of men. There's the, the Babylonian kingdom, there's the Medo-Persian, there's the Greek and the Roman Empire. And he describes them as gold and silver and brass and finely iron, metal. And then in Isaiah, the second chapter, or rather Daniel, the second chapter, in verse 35, I want you to notice. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now the idea here is the fact that these kingdoms are made of metal, and they're going to be gone with the wind. Now, why would he mention that? The kingdoms of men are built upon the idea that might makes right. The biggest boy in the classroom can bully everybody else. That's pretty well the idea of kingdoms. That's not the idea of the kingdom of God that we need to change our thinking and to think the way that God wants us to think. And in doing so now, let's turn to Psalms 2. And notice exactly what the psalmist is saying. And to many of us in America, this, this is not very comfortable. He said, why do the nations rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth assert themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, 
Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He said, now the kingdoms of man are certainly different from the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of man will not stand because they're not built upon righteousness. That throughout the Old Testament, God, through the prophets, indicated that the power of righteousness is not the power of might. When God sent Gideon out to fight the battle with 300 men, what was he saying? Gideon, it's your relationship with God, not your relationship with the amount of soldiers that you have. It's righteousness. It really doesn't bother me what's going to happen to this country. What really bothers me is what's happening to the Lord's church, God's people. We ought to know better. Now look what he has to say. He said, why do the nations rage? They always have been. The kings and the men are in chaos and confusion. In Russia and China, Syria, Iran, America... Kingdoms of men are in chaos and confusion. They always have been. Even God's people, when they started mingling with the people round about them, the Canaanites, that they were in chaos and confusion. And the prophets cried to them, and they wouldn't listen. They were set in their way. And the people imagine a vain thing. Why would anybody ever imagine that two women can have children? Why could anybody ever imagine that two men could have children? How foolish can we be? And some even in the church defending it. They imagine a foolish and vain thing. That's the world. The world is broken. It always has been. Peter said, save yourselves from this underworld generation. Paul said, let your light shine. Where? In a generation just like Peter's describing. Jesus described it as adulterous generation. That's the world. They imagine a vain thing. Why did they do that? They do that because they're living in rebellion, contrary to God's will, and whatever kingdom man established is going to be gone with the wind. Someone said a number of years ago that democracy has within its own seeds the seeds of destruction. Every man can't do what he wants to do. That would destroy a family, that would destroy a nation. And we're beginning to sense that, and we're beginning to feel that. Paul said it's a crooked and perverse generation in which you're living. We need to think about that. When we look at man, it's not too good. Does Cain and Abel being put out of the garden? 
Brother Adam and Eve being put out of the garden. Cain rising up and killing his brother. Lamech decided he needed more than one wife. And God sent the flood and Noah and his family were delivered. And we go again to the Tower of Babel. And then finally some good news. God calls Abraham and promised him a land and a nation. And through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the nation that everybody in the Old Testament is looking forward to. That's what you are. Realize who you are. Realize you're what the prophets long to see. We're the kingdom of God that the writer in Hebrews said shall never be destroyed. Jesus in heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Why not lean on the foundation that is secure and going to stand? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. You put all the PhDs in this country together in a room, what are you going to come up with? Not very much. When the children of Israel split, an old Rehoboam called in the older people and he had counsel with them. Then he called in the younger people and he had counsel with them. And he listened to the younger people. Well, they have division. That's just the nature of man. I mean by nature, I'm talking about the habits of man that man has developed. He thinks he's superior. And that superiority really grew during the Grecian Empire. They really thought they were superior. We need to come back and humble ourselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointing. Can you imagine that God said that He'd be born of virgin? He'd be born in Bethlehem? He'd call Him out of Egypt? Told Him how He's going to die? And what happened? The Jews and the Gentiles, the politicians being the Romans and, and, and Israel, the other nation, they hated one another. But they locked hands together to kill the Son of God. And yet not only did they kill Him, they allowed Him to be put in a tomb that was sealed with a big stone. They put soldiers there to guard the tomb. And what did God do? They had a problem now worse than the problem they had at the beginning. They joined hands and set counsel against the Lord's anointing, but it didn't work. It didn't work. And it never will work. Look in verse 3. Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. Our nation is very much like those nations. We don't want to be restricted. That's too restrictive. Many people don't like the Lord's church because it's too restrictive. You need to have free thought. You need to be out there. 
let's show them that we're going to kill this man who claims to be the Son of God. That's the kingdoms of the earth. They always have been. They're contrary to God. And always will be. It concerns me that sometimes I think that we in America take more pride or more feelings concerning being an American than we do being a Christian. I see, Christ, I see preachers in the church getting involved in politics and never see anything scriptural on, that they put out. Do we not understand that those kingdoms, that America is against the kingdom of God? Look again as you, we look at it. In Ezekiel 37, God called Ezekiel and showed him the dry bones. He said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, I don't know, but you know. And he raised those bones up. And he said, these bones are Israel, God's kingdom. And he said, I'm going to use Cyrus to bring them back to their land. And when they come back to their land and build it, he said, there's going to be a man that's going to be a forerunner for Jesus. And he's going to be like Elijah. He's going to prepare the people for the Lord. That's why you're coming back. God's mercy is just as great as God's anger and wrath that He poured out upon Judah and Israel for sin. Let us break the bonds. God can take care of it. Nations don't have a chance when they stand against God. This psalm is divided into four sections, each one having three verses. Let's read the next section, 4, 5, and 6. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them with his sore, sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The Lord, he sees what's going on. He's going to laugh. I told you. Pilate, did your wife not tell you that she'd suffered many things that night because of this man? Pilate, did you not know that the Jews had delivered him for envy? Pilate, do you not remember that you said, I find no fault in him? And you killed him, and where is he now? Paul said, We have 500 witnesses. And he said, the most of them are still living today. Go ask them. God said, all of this happened exactly like I told you it's going to happen. I told you he'd die between two thieves or two criminals. I told you he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. Pilate, what were you thinking? Herod, what were you thinking? Oh, let's look at it again. He that sitteth in heaven shall laugh. All of you gathered together against my Lord. And where is he? 
He's ascended into heaven. And everything that you've done to keep Him from being king, He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you hold them in derision. Going to have to answer for what they've done. Then shall He speak to them in His wrath and vex them with His sore displeasure. I begged some time ago that God not give us the present that we deserve. I doubt that we've ever got the present that we deserve. You may think, well, we, we got it. But what do we really deserve? God's wrath and God's anger and God's displeasure. The kingdoms of men are gone with the wind. Might doesn't make right. Righteousness is what God's all about. Now look at verse 6. Yet, in spite of all that you people have done, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I raised him up. He stayed here with the disciples and then ascended into heaven. What did you people accomplish? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. The Romans, even after you died, persecuted the church. What did they accomplish? Nothing. The kingdom still stands. Look in verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathens for their inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Open your Bibles to Acts the 13th chapter. Let's get the explanation of this. If you will, let's just begin with verse 32. Acts 13 and verse 32. We declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto our fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He's raised up Jesus again, as is written where? In the second psalm. Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. He goes back and says, this is what the psalmist was talking about. And as concerning that, he raised him from the dead. No more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. God is in control. That's the hardest thing for us to understand. God is in control. This nation will crumble when God determines it's time to crumble. 
That's hard for a lot of us to understand. I'm afraid some of us got more American blood than we have the blood of Jesus running through our veins. God told all along, this is what's going to happen. What was the reaction? Kill him. God said, I'll show you. From heaven I'll laugh. I'll raise him up. You make all the preparations you want to keep him in the tomb. I'm going to raise him up. And he did. Now watch again. He says, ask of me. I'll give you the nations. When the devil carried Jesus up and made all the promises to him, but God had already made a promise to him. That the nations of the earth would be his. The devil couldn't give him something that God had already promised him. You think today how many Christians throughout the world we support preachers in the Philippines, preachers in Africa. Where are they? The morning that Pearl Harbor was bombed, there were Japanese and Americans worshiping God that same Sunday morning in California. They didn't know that their kingdoms were at odds with one another. They were at peace with God. That's what God wants of us. Friends, I don't think we know the power of what we can do. And Joel Osteen makes me sick. He said the power's within you. No, we're the plants that needs to be plugged into the power. God is the power. We're nothing unless we're plugged into that power. And we're plugged into that power by submission, letting Him overwhelm us and becoming what He wants us to be. God gives what He can promise, or He promises what He can give. The devil promises something He can't give. I have a cousin sitting in the audience that when my daddy died, her daddy said that my daddy, when he was younger, was one of the meanest men he'd ever known. Dad became a Christian when he was 62. And when he was dying, he would often ask my son, will God forgive me of all I've done? I said, son, you've got the same thing. Dad, you've got the same thing I've got. God promised He would, and that's all we've got. That's all anybody in this building's got. God promised He'd forgive you. How do you know you've forgiven? God said He would. And Linda, when he was dying, heard him singing something. She got her ear down close to his mouth and heard him singing Amazing Grace. Friends, the power of the Gospel to change people. The power comes from God. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God. We need to understand that. The power that this church right here has if they stay connected to God, 
And I believe with all my heart, if it were not for Christians spread across this world, the world would have already been destroyed. And He will destroy it when you can't rear children. The fact that it's still here is evidence that you can rear children to be godly and go to heaven when they die. God had already made a promise. He said, Ask of me and I'll give it to you. Now look in verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Turn to Revelation 19, if you will. Let's notice what he's talking about is in Revelation 19 and as we begin to read. Oh, we'll just start with verse 12 and read down through verse 15. His eyes like a flame of fire. He doesn't need light to see. His eyes are so penetrating. It's like fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had the name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look again. And the armies were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. We know what that is. Sharp sword. In this same verse, I want you to notice that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. What did the psalmist say? He's going to have the rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The sword and the rod in the same verse. Notice something else here as you look at it. And shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Have you watched somebody drop a piece of pottery? He doesn't say he'll drop them. He said he'll dash it like throwing it against a wall. How many pieces would it break into? The kingdoms of men are what we describe. It's men ruling themselves. I know that God allows the organization and, and, and permits certain things. I understand that. I know what Paul said in the book of Romans, that we've got to be in subject to the laws of the land. But friends, our relationship with our God takes over everything. God is first. Now let's look at the last three verses, if you will. He said, Be wise, therefore, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. These are people that have attained prominence and, and they know something. But he says, you need wisdom. You need to be wise. Where are you going to get your wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? 
If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Be instructed. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoicing with trembling. The fear is the beginning of wisdom. I, it just bugs me sometimes to see a truck or a car have a sign in the back of it, no fear. And I think we're trying to rear people that way. In the nation in which we live, don't be afraid of anything. Friends, the God who sits upon the circle of the earth knows everything that I've ever done, everything I've ever thought, everything I've ever said. What a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Part of that problem is the fact we no longer fear God. The fear of God has not been taught. The children of Israel said to Moses, Moses, you let him speak to us. Speak to you, not to us. Have you ever noticed every man that met an angel, every man that had conversation with God, he fell down on the ground? I get sick of the denominational preachers saying, Oh, I saw the Lord, and they're so excited. You saw something, but you didn't see the Lord. When men see God, they fall on their face. When you really see God, you'd be surprised how much fear will be put in you. And when somebody tells you you've done wrong, you'll make it right because you don't want to be wrong. Somebody corrects you, you won't get mad. You'll think. I was telling Greg's wife this morning, I said, Linda has saved me a lot of times driving. She said, that light's red. That car's turning. The speed limit. Oh, she's helped me a lot of times. Do I always enjoy it? I have a friend, his wife said something to him. He said, wait a minute. He stopped the car. He said, I don't care whether you drive or I drive. But whoever's sitting over there is going to be quiet. Isn't that foolish? And that's the attitude that we've developed in our society. God knows what's right. And whatever kingdom, whether it's America, whether it's China, Russia... They're going to be gone with the wind. What I give away goes before me. What I keep for myself is going to be burned. We better learn that. Watch him again. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That, there's a rejoicing. To know that God, not only that God can see everything that you do wrong, He can see everything that you do right. That you do something for somebody, and I've learned this over the years, that if you do something for somebody, sometimes you just make an enemy. 
I don't know they feel like they're beholding to you and, and they're trying to tell you, I don't need you. People that I've done the most for in my life. A chicken farmer over in South Carolina. I drove down to South Carolina. He cursed continually. I went down and asked him, I said, Jay, would you study the Bible with me? He said, Joel, I can't. These old chickens, I don't have time. I said, Brother, I come down and work in this chicken farm on Tuesday with you. Would you have a Bible study with me on Tuesday night? Yes. So I taught he and his wife and baptized them, and they were grown. And when we decided to start another church down in Polkton, North Carolina, he wanted the church at Mineral Springs to keep growing and getting bigger. And in the business meeting, he jumped up and said to me, Joel, you need to go back to Tennessee and walk out the door and never came back. I'd go down on Sunday morning, pick up his children, and bring them to the services. People you do the most for appreciate it the least, unless they have fear and trembling for Almighty God. Be accustomed to it, brethren. People you help will someday spit in your face like Judas did the Lord. Look again. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. You know, there are a lot of us this morning, we're kissing the Lord, but in the morning we're betraying Him. I know I haven't been preaching 60 years for nothing. I've had people to my heart. Young boy that we were studying with not too long ago. He said, this is life-changing. And Linda and I just shot up to the moon. We were so excited. That lasted for about four weeks. About four, maybe five. The real king is Jesus, the Son of God. And that's the kingdom that will never be destroyed. Lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Oh, I think we've got a lot of things to deal with in, in, the, in the Lord's church. But the one thing that we need to understand and the hardest thing to teach is trust. All people believe in Jesus, Son of God, but do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? When the time comes, oh boy, it advertised that He's going to push you a wheelbarrow across a tightrope. One skyscraper to another. The old man had gotten out in the area and raised a lot of money. And the crowd was down there watching and he, he said, I can't do it. He said, the wind's too high. The old man with the money in his hand said, oh, you can do it. He said, I tell you, the wind's too high. I can't do it. 
And he kept insisting, you can do it too. He said, okay. You get in the wheelbarrow. The man gave the money back. That's the way we are with God. We think God can make us different, but do we really trust Him? What am I going to do? We had a sick child. My wife gave her life to her. And then when my wife's mother and father, one with cancer, the other with dementia, she said, Joel, what am I going to do? I said, you'll do what you've always done. You just do what's right. Trust God. And that sick child is a thousand times better than I ever thought she'd ever be. I thank God for every day. Friends, we've got to put our confidence in God. Trust God. We can't put our trust in the country in which we're living. Our trust has got to be in God. And over and over again, we are reminded of that. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25, See that you refuse not him who speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word yet more, signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things which are made, those things which cannot be shaken remain. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Thank God that you're a member of that kingdom that's going on to be with God. The kingdom of men will not stand. They never have. They never will. Because they set themselves against God. They're not. Please, brethren, let me beg of you. I'm as concerned about right and wrong in this country as anybody. But you are the kingdom that's not going to be shaken. It's going to stand forever. And you better be sure, those of you that are here, that you're a member of it. That Jesus said, For you believe not that I am He. You shall die in your sins. If Jesus said it, you better believe it. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's the hardest thing for man to do, and you'll do it every day of your life. I don't know why people argue about baptism. 
If I was going to argue about something, it would be repentance. That, that's the hard part. He that confesseth me before men, him also will I confess for my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's what you do to become a member of God's family. That just doesn't sound right. It doesn't matter how it sounds to you. Remember what we said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9? Would you learn to think like God thinks? Would you accept God's ways in doing what's right? That's what it's all about. Those of you who may be unfaithful to the Lord's church, you need to come home while together we stand and sing. Won't you come? Oh, hey, my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus.